Welcome to the PSD Cast with your host, Jason Lumberg at Power Systems Design. Now, Little Fuse just released a white paper called Reducing Emissions to Electrification, a Path to Sustainable Energy Consumption in the Transportation Sector. And since it's relevant to both our December issue, which deals directly with transportation, and our January issue, which deals with EVs and a charging infrastructure, not to mention it's a hugely important topic in its own right, we thought it would make for a good discussion on the show. Uh, their first paragraph kind of says it all, where they mention the electrification of heavy-duty vehicles contributing to reducing traffic emissions by considering a value chain that consists of energy generation, storage, transportation, and consumption. And with that, let's dive right in. And on the line, we've got the author of the white paper, Martin Schultz, a frequent um, frequent contributor to the PSD cast and a frequent guest. So, Martin, thanks for joining us. And let's start from the top. You mentioned how heavy-duty vehicles um, contribute 25% of the emissions in traffic and 6% of Europe's overall greenhouse uh, greenhouse gases, and it's similar in the U.S., where trucks produce as much as 294 million metric tons of carbon dioxide each year. So could you provide a brief overview of which specific legislation in the U.S. and the EU will help reduce those emissions in the near future without any further course corrections? Yeah, first, thanks for having me for this podcast and for the invitation. The legislations are partially... um, more global, so for all the U.S. there's legislation, but for example, states like Florida have made more restrictive regulations even, so stating to ban new sold diesel engines for trucks by 2025. Other countries have made very similar approaches, and um, partially even the OEMs and manufacturers of trucks have more restrictive or more challenging targets. So China, for example, with its... um, new energy vehicle policy has also made major steps ahead in reducing uh, fuel consumption for trucks and buses. Particularly new energy vehicles all are considered zero emission. So around the world, uh, legislation by all major nations has changed to start reducing diesel use or gasoline use at all. Most of them having restrictive targets to at least 2030 start banning diesels from the streets or from the new, not from the streets, but from being sold as new vehicles. Right. And, and why, why is reducing heavy-duty vehicle emissions uh, such a particular challenge? Well, in contrast to, truck, to a, a passenger car, a truck runs several hundred kilometers or miles every day while a typical passenger car only does 50 kilometers a day. So for a typical user, a battery range of 100 kilometers or 200 kilometers is good enough to do the all-day work. However, if you're on a truck and you want logistics, long-haul operation, you need a truck running something like five or 600 kilometers or miles a day per shift. And energy consumption in a truck is about, well, rough rule of thumb, anywhere between one and two kilowatt hours per hundred kilometer. You suddenly start thinking about battery packs that are 10 times as big as in passenger cars. So while passenger cars today feature something between 60 and 100 kilowatt hours, a long haul truck less than 500 kilowatt hours or even 600 wouldn't do the trick. And additionally, the charging times are important. 
While most private users of passenger car can charge at home conveniently overnight, having hours of time, all you have in logistics currently is the lunch break for the driver. So refueling a car, recharging a car, passenger car, in eight hours, well, 10 kilowatts are perfectly fine, which can come from your dryer plug or any other higher power plug. However, recharging hundreds of kilowatt hours in half an hour demands megawatts of charging power. So the batteries are more challenging, the range is more challenging, and also setting up an infrastructure that can charge on a megawatt level is more challenging. Right, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned those factors because we've discussed the idea of range anxiety as it relates to EVs a lot on this show and in our blog section. And not only has the price per kilowatt hour, as you point out, dropped by 88% in the last decade, but battery energy density is increasing dramatically and quick charge technologies are allowing for faster recharge speed. So how do you think this confluence of factors will help reduce the so-called range anxiety in the next five to 10 years, including for heavy-duty vehicles? That's another topic uh, for range anxiety for people. You often talk to people, I'm on, driving an EV for the last 15 years already, and wow. whenever I talk to people, they say, yeah, I can't do the 1,000 kilometers that I need to do on, the, on getting into vacation. So the expectation is that um, there's a very long range coming with a car, but typically people don't do 1,000 kilometers every day. Once you own an electric vehicle, you figure out, hey, 200 kilometers is typically good enough to go 95% of all the trips I do. And then for the heavy-duty vehicles, there's a multitude of charging scenarios. If you're a fleet operator for urban buses, you exactly know the distance they travel each day. Same is true for postal delivery or in-city delivery. Recently, Amazon has made a contract to buy 100,000 electric vehicles for delivery. And those fleets have a very well-defined operating cycle. So if you know that, in a worst case, the vehicle needs to do 150 or 200 kilometer, and the battery is good enough to go 300, well, you're fine, because those fleets are idling overnight, and you can charge the cars in a depot conveniently. Once you get into random operation, like logistics, where you need to get your truck from A to B, and you never know where B ends up, you want either a, a truck with, an, with a range that easily gets you the whole distance or a battery technology that can be charged quick enough to do this within the driver's lunch break. And the topic of energy density in batteries and charging speed is correlated. So what happens right now around the world is that you see advancement in battery technology. Batteries get smaller while having the same capacity, or the other way around, in the same pack, you get much more capacity inside. However, this typically goes along with improving the battery's internal construction. One parameter being the surface that's available for um, ions to be exchanged, so literally for current to flow. And there are um, achievements right now where nanostructures, very small microscopic structures on surfaces, enlarge the surface hugely. Enlarging the surface comes with reduced resistance inside the battery and with increased capacity. So reducing the resistance 
and at the same time increasing the capacity allows to charge at even higher rates. Battery charging is typically limited by thermal effects. You don't want to run the battery on high temperature. So reducing the resistance by offering a larger area, which in turn leads to a higher capacity, is a circle that I think we're going to see one or two more times in the next decade. While each turn in this circle means that the battery capacity grows by a factor of three to five. Speculations is that by end of this decade, battery capacity per liter has at least tripled one more time and tripled another factor by potentially 2035, which means the same battery pack you have today in this future technology will hold 10 times the energy. Or to go the same distance, you no longer need 200 liters of battery, but 20 liters. And that's amazing. Right. So would you say that, you know, battery energy density or recharge speed is uh, more important to reducing range anxiety and, you know, the reliability and operation of public heavy-duty vehicles like buses, or, or is it some sort of combination of the two? Well, it's for sure a combination. If you have the luxury to charge your vehicle every day, battery capacity can be good enough for one day. If you have the luxury to have a battery board that runs a week, just to make a large example or an exaggerated example, well, you only charge one day and go for a week, that would also be nice. And the question that it's most important is, what's the dollar per kilowatt hour rating? And you already mentioned that the price per kilowatt hour has dropped by about 80 something percent in the last decade. And it's supposed to do the same in the next decade, which means looking back 10 years and looking 10 years into the future in those 20 percent uh, years, the battery price has reduced from 100 percent to 16 percent. Hmm. So it dropped by um, in, in overall sum by uh, 1.6 percent. Sorry. So it dropped to literally nothing. Okay. Well, c could you give an executive overview um, of the pros and cons of the energy storage methods you, you discussed in your white paper? Mm -hmm. Well, there's uh, literally three ways of storing energy. There's chemical energy in batteries. This is pretty advanced and I think has the best chances to grow further. There is energy storage in capacity, so electric field, which is widely used to allow small amounts of energy being stored but being available at super high power rates. So charging capacitors can be very, very quickly and discharging this energy is also extraordinarily quick. So particularly for acceleration, deceleration, capacitors may pose a good addition to batteries, but only an addition. I don't see capacitors replacing batteries in the near term. And there is chemical storage. As we do store energy today in gasoline, potentially we could also store energy in hydrogen in the future. And hydrogen generated from renewable energies would remain a clean technology in regards of greenhouse gas emissions. However, energy density in hydrogen is a nature's constant. So whatever money you spend, one kilogram of hydrogen has a certain energy content and it will remain like this. 
And the question is, when will bet or do batteries already outperform hydrogen solution? There's a lot of discussion going on, but potentially the batteries are the, remain the better solution. Hmm. Well, um, before I let you go, um, how soon do you think the majority of heavy-duty vehicles will go fully electric? I mean, it's, it's going to happen um, just, just because of the, the legislation and the march of technology, but how quickly do you think it will happen? My prediction is it will happen much faster than people expect. You see that a lot of small fleets are in operation already, partially as prototype, partially as first series, and the adoption will take place more rapidly once the fleet operators clearly understand that going with an electric vehicle is much cheaper in total cost of ownership than going with gasoline. There was a very nice trial in New York where the outcome was that going by electric buses is about saving about $1 per mile driven. Now, considering that a bus typically in those operations does 1 to 1.5 million kil um, miles in operation during lifetime, very easy to see. Well, if it saves $1 per mile over the lifetime, you gain one, one to one and a half million dollars per bus. And if you check the numbers, the U.S. has about half a million school buses running. Now, guess what happens if half a million buses save a million dollars each? So for the time being, the electric bus and trucks will be more expensive in investment. But regarding total cost of ownership, even today, they're much cheaper than operating a gasoline thing. And the question of how fast it will be adapted, I think it's more a question about how fast can the industry produce them. Right. Well, um, thanks, Martin. Um, on behalf of PSD, I want to thank you for your time. And to our audience, mm -hmm. thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and healthy and have a great day.